You're listening to the Piper Carter podcast on the Detroit is Different podcast network. Welcome back to the Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter and I'm very, 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 very excited because we have some extremely special guests with us today to share an incredible and very important uh, edutainment project that they're doing that's coming up and I'll just bring you guys right in. What's up, Maria, Issa and Dialect? How are you? Good, what's popping? Um, you know, one day in the time and happy to be here with you, Piper. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. So, yeah, so glad that you guys came through. Um, I want to get right into it, what you're doing, so that folks know immediately what is happening on April the 8th. Yeah, so on April the 8th, thank you again very much. What's happened on April the 8th is a virtual hip-hop concert called Save Your Assets Volume 1, the Hip-Hop Fin Fest, that's being put on um, in a sponsorship, uh, excuse me, in a sponsorship, in partnership with Spondulix, Pockets Change, and Hip-Hop Community. We did a call for students across the country asking for them to make rap songs about personal finance, about the bigger financial world, about their financial story and journey. We had students make beats so they had them available to them. We had some lessons put together about personal finance if you needed to know a little bit more about that. And we asked for industry vets to put together short lessons on how to record and how to perform and put together your music. So with all that information, students were given the opportunity to submit i think yesterday we just closed the submissions so we're checking them out and sending them over to the judges the finalists are going to get to perform on april 8th there will be a number of djs and other performers and people dropping some knowledge about personal finance and what it means to them and then the overall winner is going to be judged by a panel of hip-hop legends who are going to be talking about what really worked for them in terms of not only the style and the music, but the content and what they were talking about and how it helps inspire people. And the winner is going to be going around to FPP, Florida Prosperity Partnerships, annual conference. And we're looking at other conferences to send them to as well. And we'll get a a prize where they'll get to go to Disney World for a trip for two, again, when it's safe. Wow, that is incredible. We're going to break all that down. (laughs) Um, but there's some heavy, heavy, heavy hitters involved. Like, um, can you tell us like who all is involved in this? I was like, wow. Yeah. So we have a number of really dope heads. I mean, um, what with us right now, Maria Issa, who is an amazing MC performer, educator, activist, who's been on the scene doing stuff for a really long time, uh, wrote and performed a song about Lolita Lebron, which is one of my favorite songs ever in life. We've got people like Sway from, absolutely everything. I mean, the brother is a meme house way, sway in the morning. Um, I grew up in St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. And the only way we got any hip hop at all was a syndicated wake up show that they would play at 10 at night on Saturday night. So he's been the introduction to hip hop and specifically like really lyrical, uh, intentional hip hop for many years. Uh, Legends like Bahamadia, who was uh, an amazing MC from Philly, done a lot of work with the Roots crew. I mean, if you don't know, you need to know about all the work that Bahamadia has done, an absolute legend in the business. We also have 
who else is, is going to be judging? We have uh, Derek McKinney from Loud Music, who works with cats like Lil Flip and Zero and has done a lot for the Houston hip hop scene. Neil Levine from Warner Chapel, who's an executive, done a lot of stuff on the business side. And one of my peoples who I've known for a long time, Genesis B, who's an amazing MC and activist in her own right, who has done a lot of work to help dismantle the power of the Confederate flag in her home state of Mississippi and around the country. Yeah, I love Genesis. Um, she's really been uh, doing a lot of work around that. And I'm really honored to meet you, Maria Issa. Yeah, this is what a, a great honor. Um, and I, I mean, can you imagine that these young people will get a chance to interface with all of these incredible people who have just been putting it down for the culture. I'm excited. I'm excited about this. Um, and so th it takes a lot, right? So tell us about some of these partnerships, you know, that are that are uh, making this possible as well. Yeah, so uh, I'll break down a little bit of where we came from. Hi, my name is Dialect, by the way. I'm the director of pedagogy at Pockets Change. We're a hip hop and finance organization. Our whole mission is to change the way we talk about finance because so much stuff about personal finance is basically... I mean, how can I say it succinctly? Maybe in two words. It's white supremacy. That's like, that's what they teach you about finances to just be a tool in the system and a pawn for all of that. And that is a way that we can get to the place where we are above water. And that's what they teach us to just tread water. And we want you to get off the water, or get on the boat, walk on the water, whatever the metaphor is. We want you to be able to do more. So Pocket Exchange is really trying to make it so that we have access to the information and the ability to share with our peoples what the real is so we don't get bamboozled and befuddled. We've been rocking with uh, Florida Prosperity Partnership, who is the founder of Spondulix for a couple of years now. They are a finance education group who works on financial capability. They have their own designation. They do teacher trainings. They do a lot of conferences. They bring in a lot of really good people. And on the edutainment tip, Bill Mills put together a uh, finance, what is the financial focused film festival? It's a whole bunch of F's in their alliteration where they invited filmmakers from around the world to make films about personal finance and not instructionals. They were creative pieces. One of my favorite ones was, um, this one that was about how in World War II, when they were interning the Japanese people in America, their homes were just left and often they were put up for auction and sold away to people at ridiculously small rates. And there was this short film that talked about this one white neighbor of a Japanese cat, he made a deal with his neighbor that he would buy his house for a dollar. And when he got out of internment, would sell it back to him for a dollar. And he did that. And it was a great lesson about, you know, the ways that we can work together and have worked together that talks about finance on an emotional level. And my wife and I, Pamela Capalad, who's a um, certified financial planner and runs this business, Brunch and Bunch, and we also do a podcast, not to be competing with yours. Listen to the Piper Card podcast first before you listen to ours. But, um, we did some lessons in between the films. We partnered with these guys, Everyday People. It's an amazing company that throws a lot of day parties. That's Black focused and LGBTQ focused. And when we did that, we were able to really push this to a number of other people. And Bill was like, this is really dope. And I wish that we could start doing other mediums. And since my discipline is emceeing hip hop on the podcast, my wife and I do, we play indie rap songs that pertain to whatever financial subject we're talking about. So we know that there are cats out there making these songs. So we decided let's make a concert you know, it's going to be a virtual concert because everything going on in this time of life. Um, let's make a concert that talks about hip hop and financial literacy and financial resilience and all the things that we need to build our financial armor to make sure that we can do the things that we need to do. 
Oh, I gotta go to this. <laughs> <laughs> please, please come on through. So where where it's gonna be is on Spondulix, which is a financial literacy. I was saying based uh, streaming channel. It's uh, a number of videos you can see. My wife and I's podcast. Man, I'm really plugging us too much times. And a number of other really good content. They've got like Sammy the Rabbit who does content for like. I think like six, seven, eight-year-olds, which is really important because studies have shown that kids start having relationships with money as soon as six and seven years old. So they're already getting all the information from the world out there. So we need to be instructing them as well. You know, this is, I mean, please feel free to plug your podcast as much as possible. I'm such an anti-capitalist and very much share economy type person. So what is your podcast name again? Brunch and Budget. I need this podcast in my life, first of all. <laughs> so everybody listen to Brunch and Budget. And it's on Spondulix, you said? Yeah, you can see the video on Spondulix. And then the rest of it is all the Apple podcasts and all that other good stuff. You know, the uh, tagline is that it's about personal finance and racial economic inclusion. We do things we're talking about, like the racist history insurance and why you still probably need at least some form of insurance today, even though they're doing us like that. Man, everyone needs this podcast. So this is what's up. And this work is what's up. You know, I, I do want to say I, I grew up in, a, I guess you would call it like a, a an African centered, uh, like Montessori private school mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And this is the 70s. So it's very hippie like. But um, yeah, we had our own money. The name of the school was called Nataki Taliba and we had Takis. And each one of us came up with like what we wanted to do, like just in terms of like, you know, our our career, if you will. And um, interestingly enough, many kids were doing bake sales and this kind of thing. But I was an artist, you know, and uh, what was I like seven when we first started? And I ended up being like the quote unquote, like richest person in Taki Town just because I was doing my passion. And I was like hiring other kids to work for me and like share that we were doing sharing and it was before hallmark and these other places were doing um culturally sensitive um cards and so my business was um african-centered greeting cards so i was doing like um harriet tubman's birthday cards and like kwanzaa card and like all these different cards like that and you know juneteenth cards this is before juneteenth like people even knew about Mm. juneteenth and so we were doing i was doing all that stuff and then i would do like blank cards you could buy like a blank card and then or i would you know, paint them and do all types of art and everything. So you could buy like a card, you know? And so um, people loved it. Like I was, man, I I was making so much Takis that people were actually paying me real money. Like the parents would come and give me like, you know, like, well, I shouldn't say real money. They would give me fiat, you know? And um, (laughs) it was just funny. I just think it's like hilarious that, um, you know, from a kid, like that's what made me like, oh, I'm an artist. I can make money being an artist. Like, I've never had a job because I've always been an artist because I learned as a child how to make money as an artist, right? And how to be creative. And But anyway, I I really love uh, everything that you're talking about. So um, I could definitely attest to, you know, got to start young because, yeah, that relationship does start young. And I think even to this day, I mean, not only am I anti-capitalist because my family are like, you know, black revolutionary communists or whatever, but, uh, because, (laughs) but because, you know, these types of, um, teachings about not being, um, dependent on the money 
but what are you creating that people need? Like what use yeah. are you creating that? What is it that you're creating that feeds a use, right? That feeds and that serves a need, not like, Oh, I want to get money. Cause it, yeah. cause like I understood right at that age, like I wasn't trying to make money and I only charged, I only took, money that people gave me because this was our, what was it? We were in a system and this is what we were practicing. Mm -hmm. But for me, I was like, Oh, there's no, like, what do people need? Well, at that time, people needed these cards, obviously, <laughs> you know, they mm -hmm. wanted to give people cards. So anyway, I just, I love it. I love um, what you're doing. So this is exciting. I'm very well, excited. And, and what you're talking about is really the whole point of everything you have a better relationship with money and had the freedom to even think about how money is not the end goal because you got to see success in it. You got to see in a closed system, in a safe environment, how to actually make these things work for you. And therefore, you know, your relationship with money led you to believe that you can start your own businesses. You can have these podcasts. You can go out there and do these things. And what we do with our work is we, we do what you're doing. And since we come into school systems, we can tend to take it a step further where we encourage you to start your own businesses, to start spending, having folks spending fiat money on the stuff that you're making. Man. Okay. Now, just because, you know, I like, I think the repetition is good. So help us understand again, just so that people can understand this festival, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. you, you gave us the info in the beginning, but let's mm -hmm. dig a bit deeper, you know, into like, you know, what, like how and what and why, like all of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a quick thing. And then um, I, I would love, if uh, Maria, if you could talk a little bit just about your experience as an educator and how these things have been important to you. Because for me, I, I've been a, an MC, an educator and creative person for like 15-ish years now. And I've only been on the finance tip for about five. And what happened was uh, I found that in my career as an educator, it was always really important for us to dig into the finance part because that always affected kids' self-efficacy, their ability to pay attention, the amount of time and energy they could spend on doing school if they had other jobs or things that they had to worry about. And also as an indie creative, I've been the cat who, all of us indie creatives, we're the ones who were the the guinea pigs for this whole gig economy. When you look at how people are mistreated with your Ubers and Lyfts and even the way that um, folks do under unionized jobs, it's the stuff that they told us when we were musicians in nightclubs and they're like, take your $50 and shut up. Don't talk to the other musicians. Don't talk to the punk rockers. Cause if you talk to them and y'all start to try to get your rates together, then we just won't hire any of y'all. We'll hire somebody else. And that fear kept us away. If you go on pocketschange.com slash personality, you can take a money personality test and guessing by Piper with the stuff that you're talking about with the ways that you work, I feel like you're on, on the top half. It's only four different designations. You're either a paper chaser or um, a complicator. Um, I'd probably need to know like one more other thing to be able to decide that. But you take this simple two-question test and it tells you a little bit of something about your relationship with money. And understanding your relationship with money is a really important thing because it will rule the things that you do. I've had bad relationships with money. Um, 
we talked about this the other day. I'm mixed race and um, my white family didn't like the whole black mom thing. So when my dad died, they fought over money and I hated money. And I didn't realize that when I grew up, I was bad at holding on to money. I would always spend it on my people's or be overly generous to, you know, my deficit and to mess me up. And when I understood that that was part of my relationship money, that was part of my trauma and that was influencing my decisions. Well, then I could take that, acknowledge that, and then make better decisions about what I'm doing with my finances. Once I got that together for myself, I realized I need to share it with my peoples because one of the biggest things about money, I just said, we don't talk to each other because the businesses tell us not to talk to each other. There are companies that have contracts that say, if you talk about your salary, you will be fired. And that doesn't do us any good. So we need to start talking about money. And that means we need to do it on every single level. The great thing about hip hop, and this is why I'm a hip hop educator, is that it attacks you on all levels. All of the ways that we express are the ways that we learn. And once we learn how we learn, we can learn anything. So we need to have it visually. We need to have it musically. We need to have it in movement. We need to have it by ourselves in all these different forms and mediums. So we're giving opportunities for kids to create their own rap songs and videos that are giving them a number of different ways to share with their community so that we can spread the messages of their stories, their tragedies, triumphs, and how they can make more. And I don't know. So, uh, Maria, Issa, do you did you want to add on to that? Oh, definitely. You know, I'm an artist that grew up with seeking opportunities of, you know, just thinking as being a rapper as a kid and as as a as a Boricua in Minnesota um, girl who wanted to get sessions, you know, and how much studio cost and utilizing what we could get in our resources and it and trying to find funding at a young age so that we could do what we had to spread a message, right? And keep positive and focused in the barrios and the hoods. Um, and as a youth uh, worker now, um, it's it, I, I try to teach my kids just to recognize how far um, financial literacy is and how far we can utilize that as as momentum to change um, the situations that we're in. Um, and to also want to quote a mentor of mine, my mother, my mother is one of my biggest mentors. She worked as a program officer for the Otto Bremer Foundation back in the late 90s. And that's a bank foundation based here in the Twin Cities. Um, and recognizing that, you know, when financial institutions needed to find their, what she used to call the four food groups, get the get the brother, the sister, the Latina, the native, the, the Hmong, what makes our diversity here in the Twin Cities specifically, and, the, uh, and mm. trying to break how we could, uh, get financial barriers pushed around and it was racist you know we we grew up recognizing that oh they they have to have us in these uh uh you know um places to fill these gaps in because le legality they had to make their quota when i say mm -hmm. they are white people um who own these institutions and uh, who created that horrible uh platform of the middle passageways which has us here and as a body while recognizing surviving debt right and continued the the slave ships going in the sky to put us in these factories from new york to where we're at in the in the diaspora um so what I what I learned at a young age is recognizing that we weren't seeking charity to fund our education, our health. I mean, all the disparities that we have in these injustices in the United States of America, this United Segregated States of America, was most of of going, we're not seeking charity, we're seeking our justice, we're seeking our land back. We need we're not seeking, we're fighting for these issues, right? We're fighting for reparations. 
I was guided by uh, mentors from my mother to other women. And let me highlight women of color who really were making my means uh, necessary with anything that they had. You think about us, we hustle as people of color by any means necessary to survive, you know? But what do we do? How do we teach our children to say it's way beyond survival? It's financing what we can for our children in the next seven generations after we're not even living on this earth anymore. And that's something that I, uh, want to continue educating not only myself as I'm a, as I'm a mother now and older but also um our youth to is is beyond doing the slave work and doing the the 10 to 10 um work that we see our youth here specifically um whether it's in farming whether it's in uh, a a capitalist you know corporation to showcase that there's opportunities that we can be our own business owners you know, I, I like what you said, Piper, saying, you know, I've always worked a job that you've been the boss at. Um, I recognize at a young age, why am I in an industry that wants me to change, wants me to not be who I am when this is who I am and what creates me to express a voice through the power and the tools of, and elements of hip hop? I'm going to start my own label because I don't need a label to give me a, a, some money to control me. I need a label that I control and distribute what I want to be distributed, which is edutainment, you know, entertainment and education. Um, so with that, I look back as I'm my own boss. I've been my own boss. I pay my taxes. I do what I got to do. But meanwhile, we have a debt as a type one diabetic, insulin dependent to live. I My debt is, is not college bills is not, you know, all the other extra stuff that we have to deal with. I've been fighting that off, but it's the fact that I need medicine to live and they will tax you for stuff that, that this government taxes you to live. So I started to think about how do we strategically plan? It's not for us to make that change. It's for the white allies and white people, just like every injustice to recognize that you're not giving us charity. When you are funding our program, when you are funding us as artists, when you are funding our businesses and giving us uh, our support, that's not charity. That's justice. So keep buying it. Keep keep buying black, uh, supporting black businesses, supporting brown businesses, BIPOC businesses. That's how we can find our equity in the system that continues to want us to live in poverty and uh that's why I'm here today. I love hip hop and I love the tools and the unification that it builds for us to recognize that we have to not do for us or for even our ancestors. We got to do for our baby. Like mm. ODB's <laughs> Wu-Tang is for the babies. You know, hip hop is for the babies. Yes. Yes. Yo. Yeah. Um, I just w can't wanted to ask you, you, you know, you spoke about, um, that's a whole thing. The what is it called? The foundation industrial complex or whatever. Um, yes, yes. With the with the grants and uh, all of that, you know, um, because in this arts and culture game, uh, that's an, that's a huge avenue, you know, in terms of uh, funding projects. Um, you know, trying to find ways to pay people to teach. You know, um, just this whole thing. So even. Uh, redirecting the energy, like you said, um, around like the self-determined efforts, you know, this, this project, when I see this project, I think of, you know, how do, how do we practice self-determination? How do we teach self-determination? 
Um, and yeah, grants can be a piece. They can be a part of it. But I think what I've witnessed in my experience is many arts uh, organizations and, and artists uh, go wrong, I will say, in depending on grants. Because as soon as the grant changes its focus, then they're going to send you an email like, oh, how about change your mission statement <laughs> or, you know, something like that. You know, uh, oh, we're not funding planting trees anymore. You know, uh, we're you know, do you have a basketball program? You know, something like that. And so I think um, this teaching people how to fish that you were talking about dialect. Um, this is really wonderful. I'm wondering um, in the in the in the. In, in all of that you're doing, it are grants. I mean, I know that the program itself has mm -hmm. some sponsorships and that thing, but in terms of uh, the content, are is this avenue kind of covered or are you kind of more focused on the, you know, self-determined sort of aspects? Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of everything. Like Pockets Change itself is both a for-profit and not-for-profit company. We've done the thing where we rock with folks who can afford our services and pay a little bit more to help them out. And also we found a number of organizations where there's the people that we want to rock with and they can't afford us at all. Um, they have like, not, you know how budgets are, um, especially when it comes to all of the ways that our youth are disadvantaged in all the specific ways. So we... <laughs> We built our, our nonprofit arm so that we could take some grant money. But I also know exactly what you're talking about, about the whole nonprofit industrial complex and the big nonsense treadmill that it all is. I was Mr. Like, we talk about making our own business. I remember when I was first talking to labels and they're like, what's your song for the club? And I'm like, I don't have any songs for the club. And they're like, how, we, how are you going to make money? And I fell into the classroom um, with uh, my mentor, Claudia Alec, um, amazing poet, playwright, does the calling up justice stuff right now. Super amazing. And we angled these things into where I had a one person rap show about identity that was a play and a rap album and a six week curriculum. And I was getting grant money. I would pilot it back home in St. Croix and the VI. Um, and I would bring it to all the schools and organizations. And every year I was getting grant money to come down and do that. And it felt like, oh, I figured out my job. I, I, I got it. You know, I'm, I'm making money doing my art and doing my education stuff with the peoples. And then 2008 happened and everybody's money dried up. I remember uh, an organization that I did a program every summer with. I showed up like a couple of weeks before for the meeting. And they're like, oh, we forgot to tell you. Uh, uh, the company that gave us 100% of our money just disappeared. The bank is gone because of uh, all this going on. So there's no program. Sorry. And we had to completely pivot and change what we're doing. So there is a lot of self-determination. There is a lot of finding alternate streams of income. And we advocate for multiple streams of income. But you know, one of those multiple streams of income is making sure that we have our savings and we make sure that we have the investment portfolio together so that our streams of income aren't solely dependent on any kind of one thing. So it can be coming from the work that you're doing in terms of going and performing, going and teaching. We saw how the pandemic made it so that all the performers, we lost all of those gigs and those tours. So we needed to be able to find other sources. I have done things where I've 
rapped in theaters. I've done things where I've translated raps. I work for the Board of Ed where I've written curricula into rhyme and poetry form for students' better understanding. And basically, we've done all of the stuff we can to make sure we make money doing the things that we can, not to make, like you said before, money as the outcome, but making sure we are able to get across the things that are important to us that can also make it so we can live the way we want to live. I um, I feel like I saw Maria Isa on one of your social media things. You were making a coquito at some time. I made a hot sauce that went along with one of my things. And it was hilarious because the hot sauce did better than the record it was supposed to be promoting because somebody saw it. Uh, it was uh, here. I'll, I'll tell about it um, real quick. And then I want to hear more about how you ended up with your coquito. I've been making hot sauce for fun. And I do a lesson about how you do stuff for fun that maybe can be monetized. And I have a rap song about how you know, I was saying the mixed race thing, how, you know, people say that being mixed race is white genocide. So I made a satirical song about how every time my parents had sex, white people would disappear in the clouds of smoke. So I made a related product called White Tears, which is a hot sauce made of pure capsaicin. Y'all know that pure capsaicin is not only the essence of pepper, but it's the thing they use in pepper spray. I always thought it was some chemical, but so it's the thing from pepper spray. You got to put it like gloves and a goggles on for to put a little drop of it into the thing. And it was a super spicy, clear thing that we put in eyedroppers and a little eyedropper for you to bring and drop into your food when white people is acting a little bit too spicy. Somebody saw it on Instagram and was like, hey, I've got a people of color uh, subscription box. What's your wholesale rate? And that became another meta lesson for me that I could then give the students is, hey, make sure that you have your cash flow together. And if your cash flow projections have your prices on it, then even if you haven't thought of a wholesale rate, you know how much it costs for you to make so you can make that calculation really quick. So, you know, that's one of the ways I ended up stumbling and fumbling into other avenues for making money. But yeah, tell me about tell me about the coquito. It was like uh, like dairy free and everything. Yeah, you know, I try to keep it healthy. Uh, I'd make like a, a dairy free vegan coquito. I started actually making it once the hurricane Maria came. Um, I'm an advisor for Fondo Boricua, which is a donor advised fund out of the St. Paul Foundation that my mom started back in 2005 just to collect funding for cultural arts, you know, Afro-Latino cultural art programming in the Twin Cities. Uh, anything that had to do with Afro-Latino arts and recognizing, you know, our, our Black culture and our Indigenous culture within the Latinidad. And then once a hurricane hit, um, you know, we strictly went for hurricane relief and cultural arts programming on the island, uh, recognizing that Red Cross, you think about all of the Red Cross United Ways, right? Her working with the background philanthropy, she's like, they pay people's salaries off with administration fees and our gente are not getting that funding. So we strictly was like, we're going to do whatever it can take to get every penny to Puerto Rico because we all seen what the Trump administration did and before the Trump administration too, you know, let's, let's, well, we've, that's a whole nother podcast to discuss uh, uh, colonization, right? And um, colonialism and capitalism, but uh, same thing. Uh, however, the Coquito came from that project of like, all right, you know, we're doing fundraising. How do we keep getting funding towards our gente, specifically our cultural programs that are for Boricuas, by Boricuas, and Black Boricuas. Um, so the poquito, my grandmother passed away and she left me with this awesome recipe. 
And I said, our people need to eat healthier and not be drinking so much cow milk. And mm. let's go back to the Taino ways and get the coconuts out. Right. And um, we raised to like five, you know, hundred thousand dollars. We're not just selling coquito, but like um, that's a lot of coquito. Not by solid coquito, but just our coquito was the project that continued that. And well, so we made it a tradition to continue doing that during the holidays. And now in the pandemic, um, we started a coffee cart called Gallitas as a fundraising project mm. um, to help continue the agricultural programming on the island um, that are providing resources, food and teaching our youth how to reclaim their land back, right? And continue to own the land, um, as well as cultural art programming in Loisa and Santurce, Ponce. Uh, so it's uh, these endeavors, you think about, you know, how we learn, you talk about, you learn about money at six, you know, or being in the schools. That's another thing, like our people, our families, our village, works hard to educate us of where we come from and our true history. And that's a very big part of what financial literacy has to be interwoven with just as much as we're teaching the drumming, just as much as we're teaching the dance steps and where they come from, right? Um, the history of us uh, needing um, to advance um, how we've been able to provide to beat a system at its own game that's putting us and continuing to have us at the at the bottom of the caste system, so it, it's a it's a level from coquito, you know, to to curriculums, uh, uh, cultural curriculums to help us advance and connect. So oh my god, this is so cool! I love it! I love it! I love it! Um, you know, you guys are so inspiring. I am. I'm so inspired, and I know people always use that word, but. I mean, like, I feel so lit up inside right now. You just like, uh, help me learn about all the great things that you guys are doing. And I'm just seeing all the points of synergy. I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow up on that, 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 that. And so, um, I'm wondering, yeah, so let's do this dialect mm -hmm. because, um, we've heard so much of your brilliance, but tell us a bit more about, you know, yourself, your talents, what you do, you know, a little history, what you've done, what you got going on. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, bear with me because I'm not good at that part. I'm an MC, so I'm here to move the crowd, not tell you who I'm about. But, um, you know, when it comes to what you said earlier about inspiration, a big thing that I've been into lately is etymology. You know the etymology of inspiration or to inspire? I do not. It's mad simple. It just means to breathe in. So when people that's talking about you inspire me, they're talking about you give me breath, you give me life. I love how literal words can be. So um, I guess let me work backwards a little bit. My latest thing that I've been doing is about etymology. I spent a around the time of the Trump election, I spent a year researching internet comments to find what words turn conversations into fights. You know, those under article comments where people just be going in on each other. I just wanted to find those points because I realized when I started talking to people about racism, we ended up not being able to have an argument um, or what the argument would be come is a semantic one because we didn't share the definition of the word. And if we don't share the definition of the word, then nothing makes sense, right? So I spent a year, I just dug through all of them. I went to every kind of site. I went to their political sites, your sports sites, everybody. And 
I found 11 words. I found a little bit more than that, but I cut it down because I wanted to make this project with examples. So I found these 11 words that were just dead. They were these dead zombie words that were indicators of the way that discourse has failed us. And I made rap songs about how each word died. And I built this album and theatrical show called The Museum of Dead Words. Um, I part with, with some visual homies and we made the words in big funky fonts and we did a guided tour. When we the pandemic hit, I had to bring it online and I did a similar call to artists like we're doing for the FinFest. And I had 11 artists from around the world make visual representations of how they felt about these words and how they died. So we put together different iterations of this using rhythm because it's funny, Maria was talking about, you know, the drum and the understanding of finance. And a lot of this has to do with understanding that words, and I say this as an MC and writer and person who loves words, words don't mean nothing. Words are just the window dressing on top of tone and cadence. So it was great to be able to use the rap songs to be able to cage in the cadence of what we got going on and to have these discussions about what words really mean. And all of that comes from a lot of my work has been in general about identity. I'm an MC, I'm a theater maker, I'm an educator. I say this because I do it basically all at once. That project I was telling you about on St. Croix was about my mixed raciness and um, how I used to live in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which as I recently found out was the origination of the the written word racism. Um, the cat who founded this project in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, he was uh, he considered himself an anti-racist because everybody was saying the only good Indian is a dead Indian. They mean Native Americans. And he said, no, no, no kill the Indian, but save the man. And what he meant was instead of killing these folks, kidnap their children and put them in indoctrination camps and, you know, cancel their culture. So this is where I grew up in. In um, Before I moved down to the VI as a kid, I was in a place where the Klan used to march twice a year. We had all these race riots. So I did a rap show about my um, inability to fit in and my understanding of my own identity. It was called Square Peg Syndrome. I brought it back home to the VI and I did it for every school, after school organization, the college, the group homes, the prisons. And the whole point of it is about finding the places where you have an understanding of your identity. Because if you can understand who you are, you can understand what you're doing. I had students who, I remember these two kids where, um, they were these brilliant kids. They're about 14. They were incarcerated and their rap names, they were twins. Their rap names were the evil twin and the evil twin. And I asked them why they said that everybody been telling us we're bad people our whole lives. So we're going to be the best at it. And I took these programs to help kids to understand how they read, write, do math, but more importantly, how they can use these things as tools to get the stuff that they want. Because for the most part, school is about creating a framework, creating a standard, uh, creating traditions and standards and traditions when unquestioned suck. And how do we battle those? Well, with hip hop, the way that we battle things in a way that is non-hierarchical, that doesn't have a zero sum, that is about yourself, but is also at the same time about your community. And it's been my mission for a really long time now to treat classrooms like rap ciphers, where it doesn't matter what I said before, what matters is what I say next. And it doesn't matter about me being the best. It's about inspiring the next so they can inspire the next so that together we can make something great. I've written plays for other people. I've been a fellow with the public theater. I've been in fun rock bands like Death Row Tull and rap collectives like Mind Spray and Cypress Syndicate and been torn all around the country and world and been rocking with folks. And um, oh, I'll throw one other brag saying I'm jumping around in time errors. This is a more recent thing, but um, I've been practicing doing my bragging a little bit more. I got to do some rewriting for New York City um, 
eighth grade and high school curriculum. And I got to add a few components to their poetry curriculum, including rewriting their phonics for high school students from your kind of rote C-spot run type of stuff into rhymes and poetry. And that's something that's going to be instituted in the curriculum next year. And it includes a background on how Negro spirituals and protest songs are the foundation of American rhyming poetry. So um all over the place, as you can sound, but it's like basically um, I'm a hip hop who gets down with people who think that they don't need hip hop, but they actually do. I love it. I love it. And you know what's interesting? Um, I mean, I don't I don't see what you're doing as all over the place. <laughs> um, I see all the lines, you know, they're uh, they all fit. Everything is like a puzzle. It all fits together perfectly. And um, yeah, I mean. I guess for me, I'm just really grateful that there are, you know, just amazing, creative people like yourself that are helping other people to be able to connect with aspects of our system that we need. You know, um, think of how many people um, just don't understand the basics of, of things that they need to be able to function because the system that they were in was inaccessible to mm -hmm. them to be able to learn, right. How to function and how that thing, you know, or that skill that they need is so far from them just because they, they, they're not, they weren't able to connect. So you're a connector and you're helping people connect to things that they need. And that, you know, um, is done. You're doing it in a way that, helps them to unlock their genius, you know, and, and their creativity. And so this is exciting. I'm just freaking excited right now. And I want to learn a little bit more about you, uh, Maria Issa, please. Like, you know, let us into the world of you. Ooh, a world. I feel like a, a dialect, very parallel to, to dialect, um, you know, same fins swimming through many different waters, but they all connect, right? And they connect so many different lands and beauty of humanity. Um, I'm a Boricua, born and raised in Minnesota. Uh, Puerto Rican in Minnesota, hence Soda Rican is what I call myself. My company is Soda Rico, my label. Uh, I've been a hip hop artist uh, since I started writing my first rhymes, being a Boricua here in Minnesota, nice world. It's not so nice um, as the whole world has its lens right now on us. This is the uh, trauma that we've dealt with as communities of color everywhere in America. But in a different way here is smaller city and we don't have the same demographics of population as a major city like New York City, Chicago, L.A., but the racism is thick. This is native Dakota and the Shinabe land. So when we talk about dialect, those boarding schools, you know, they're just down the block mm. and they hold pride as, as it's a historical site for, for <laughs> us, traumatizing for us, right? Um, so I, I have the, uh, I'd like to say, I have the privilege as a Boricua who is proud of my African Taino and the European blend of how to survive poison and turn it into medicine through the rhythms of bomba. I'm a bombera. Uh, I have been saved by the tribal drums of the Afro-Boricua culture. 
through Bomba as a kid, it has been my tool of resistance as it has been for the ancestry for over 500 years. Um, but my drums as a child connected me to the drums of the native folks here and recognizing we're fighting, we're fighting together, you know, um, and we're living in a world that wants to separate us and put us in all of these little boxes and checking them off. But in reality, like we got to fight together and stand up. I recognize that as a young age because my mother and my aunt started a cultural art school called El Alcoiris Center for the Arts, which was our school. So it's good to hear that you went to like a Montessori school. Our school, we went to, you know, private school, we had public school, we had Montessori school, but at the after school programming and the weekend doors of that studio space, downtown St. Paul is really what saved me as a child. Um, and my inner child in me still to be open from Bomba to hip hop because recognizing those, if it wasn't for Bomba, I wouldn't be the hip hop artist I am. Um, I was able to connect with just freestyling because of the improvisation and communication of what Bomba is. And for those tuning in who don't know what Bomba is, it is the uh, traditional Afro Puerto Rican music. The uh, longest documentation and first of the rhythms of the blending of our culture and races here, um, surviving the Middle Passageway uh, with West African roots and, and Boricua roots, uh, the Taino Arawak roots. So that really, you know, it, it labels when you know, like you stated, when you know where you come from, it, it, uh, it, it, it's, it's a weapon of peace of mind because you know your worth, you know your value, you know that um, we've been surviving so much and we're fighting a belly of a beast. So we got to control our anger. We got to control our trauma as much, but we also got to utilize those same tools that our ancestors did to have us here today. Um, with that, I became an educator as a youth. I became a youth educator as a youth because in Minnesota, we didn't have New York, Chicago. They have the predominant large communities of the diaspora. So my mother would find by any means and my aunt to bring those educators from the island or the major cities because she's a New Yorican to the Twin Cities. And so at that point, we started touring. I mean, we, we were drumming at five till now. Like I look at these colleges that I've been to since I was like five, just drumming and telling that we're not going to communicate with our lane. We're going to communicate with our soul. We're going to communicate with our body, with our movements, with our drums. Um, so that gave me into a birth of rapping at 11, 12, writing my first rhymes and just recording at home on a Fisher Price push play record and making beats on a keyboard. And it picked me up to go into a scene that was only, you know, men, young men, boys who didn't want me in the cypher unless I was going to break dance or just clap along or go, ooh, when they rap. And I didn't intentionally want to become a battle rapper, but I had to. So I started battle rapping at a young age um, just to get a gig, just to get in the door. Um, and I got my first show at First Avenue, which everybody knows is Prince's home for Purple Rain. Um, in Minneapolis, like my first big gig through Rhyme Sayers Entertainment Group, the native ones, Los Nativos, who booked me to sing Alicia Key and Lauren Hill covers. So that just shows you kind of, <laughs> and that's a whole nother episode too. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, mm -hmm. 
But I said, yeah, I'll do Alicia Key covers and Lauryn Hill. And as soon as I got on stage, I did not. I had a whole choreography of dancers. I mean, you think about the elements of hip hop, I had all of them there. I had a DJ, I had the break dancers, I had uh, bomberos, and we did Latin hip hop to reggaeton because reggaeton had exploded while I was in high school. And um, we were kind of like the first crew to do it here in the Twin Cities. And uh, that just blew it up for me um, as an artist. I opened up for Slick Rick shortly after that and then started doing um, national tours and performing in Puerto Rico at hip hop festivals with the legends and the greats of pioneers of hip hop. So um, it boosted me into not just focusing on hip hop as a, as a teenage growing into a young woman. It recognized that I had to keep my culture balanced with, with the, the offsprings of what the culture is through hip hop. I had to not stop doing bomba. I uh, started, I was an artistic director of the organization that my mom and my aunt founded after my aunt retired and moved to California. And I was like 20, 21, you know, um, trying to juggle writing raps and and recording, um, leaving college because I was touring and I was like, I'm not going to pay to be in debt to go study something that I'm living right now. And I had the wise words of the Professor Lopez, you know, um, uh, Juan Lopez, who's Oscar Lopez Rivera's brother, who was like, mija, go. I mean, we were fighting for his brother to get out of jail and we did and we made it happen, you know, because he said, that's what the movement is. You know, Lolita, who I wrote that song, I was inspired by that because he's like, you think, Someone gave her an opportunity or option. No, that's what you had to, that's what her her soul do. So follow it. So I started to create my own curriculum and um, it connected me with several youth organizations in the city where we built, uh, I mean, Peach Jam uh, concerts nationally to locally uh, working with Noble Peace Laureate. I had my curriculum in um, hip hop and activism workshops at uh, Red Ring Correctional Boys Institution. So the, the uh, juvenile uh, penitentiaries um, here in the in Minnesota. Um, and I was about 20 to 24 teaching in the penitentiaries on hip hop and making sure that, you know, our young men recognize their power and um, that they could beat the system that was trapping them and enslaving them once they got out, um, mm-hmm. were taught to study Edgar Allan Poe, but it's like, I want to teach them to study Tupac. (laughs) You know, I want to teach them to study folks that they can relate, that we can relate, that are our our heroes, right, of an advocacy and activism. How are you going to survive if you don't know who you are and it's not being taught? So that youth inspiration continues the work that I do today. I'm a director of mentorship for the Twin Cities Mobile Jazz Project. Um, it's been something this pandemic, a whole different challenge because trying to get kids to zoom in is a whole different challenge, right? Mm-hmm. More accessibility to that. So when we talk about finances, it's like we do what we can to make sure that the kids are going to have a tablet or are going to have a phone that they can log into that they don't have to share with their five other siblings living in a two bedroom apartment and surviving this uprising and recognizing that, you know, someone who I personally knew was taken away uh, in the street and murdered. And another you know, person after Philando Castile was filmed and murdered, who was a lunchroom teacher to many of our students, to Jamar Clark being someone who was a part of those youth programming that we were, we were doing over North. So it's, it's, uh, it's been a 
a reflection of the work that we do is even more important now. Um, the work that we do is even more important to fight for uh, whatever funding is out there, whether they're grants to be like, we're not going to continue to apply the same way that we had to anymore because we're tired of it. You know, it's there and it's ours. So it, it, it's not a, okay, let's go get this. No, it's like, hey, now we're knocking on the door to say, time is up, bags right here. You feel me? Um, and people in this community that I'm from, uh, I'm like a, like my husband says, you know, you're like a peaceful threat. You're like Mother Teresa and Lolita Lebron and a rapper. And I take that because it's what we got to do. You know, it's how, it's how we're here. It's how we got to fight for it. And recognizing the, the, the communication barriers aren't placed by us, right? It's it's a handcuff of the system. I have a Hmong refugee, Thai, coming from Thailand, Laos, Vietnam. I've got Somali children refugees. I've got Mexican kids who have been separated from their parents who've been deported, but they stay here. You know, I've got Boricua children that have survived the hurricane and never been to Minnesota, but come here because there's a Puerto Rican community that wants to help. There's so many folks and our black and brown kids that have been born here that are that separate themselves from those who have migrated here where I'm like, hey, esto se termina. Oi, this finishes today. Like if you're in my classroom, we all break bread. And if you're a white kid and if you're living in the hood, you need to recognize your privilege that your other homies don't have. You know what I'm saying? And 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 this is us. It's all of us. But it's about history and the foundation of where history is taught and how hip hop is that tool. So we build studios in the rec centers for kids because all of this equipment, we know how much it costs dialect. We know how much it costs to master and mix. Why are we charging our kids who are us? You know, we have to find those masters and bring them to the classroom. And it's like you're not going to get paid for that because you get paid, Bruno Mars, you get paid to go <laughs> and do what you do. You gonna donate to provide Grammy program, donate to provide to these classrooms, right? Uh, hey, you wanna be a, a, a rapper and you're touring around the world? Hey, Lizzo, you made it on these blocks, you know? Mm -hmm. What you gonna do to our program? So those are, those are the avenues um, of the nonprofit sector, but we don't depend on the grants. We're not here like, you know, waiting for them, we're gonna do the work regardless. If it's coming out of our small mm -hmm. royalty check, if it's coming out of uh, uh, what we gotta do today, well, Maria's gonna do a concert on the corner outside and whoever's gonna drop that funding there and the breakers are gonna break whoever drops that funding there. We've been through the burning of the Bronx, right? We've been through all of, the, all of these issues, but we maintain and teach our kids, like, don't let it stop you. Can't stop, won't stop. So mobile jazz has been that fuel and medicine for me coming back to Minnesota. I was doing work in L.A. I've been in movies, Holly, Latino Hollywood movies with Danny Trejo. I've done theater. I starred as Mimi in the off-Broadway at the Guthrie Rent. I lived in New York with my mom for a minute and, you know, repped with our diaspora and battled rap a few folks out there and um, and collaborative with our, our outreach work, which is what got me here today. Salute to uh, Martha Diaz and all the beautiful brilliance of Mujeres in the hip hop circle cypher. Um, and just, you know, doing what we do to maintain, to survive and to grow. It's like, it's not about just keep growing branches. It's about keep planting them trees, you know? So I love 
being a hip hop rapper and an MC and a performer, but I live for the children and that's what we're here. That's what we're on. And so like, I just want to say thank you for uh, dialect for uh, what you're doing too with this, with this festival and engaging and making sure that it's important because these times been hit and it's kind of like the glass, it isn't kind of the glass has broken. And I really see that what the work that we do as artists and community is what's going to not keep the world spinning, but the create, create the world um, that's ours. Oh, yo, creating the world. This is the big thing I've been teaching a lot lately is like, we have a weird idea about art, right? We think that art breaks us out of boxes when honestly, what art does is defines our boundaries and tells us what color background the boxes looks like. And that's the thing is the history of it is doing that. And what we can do is we can remake that in our own way. You know, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, most people I know haven't read that book because it's a slur, right? If somebody's an Uncle Tom, they're a seller in the black community and they don't know that Uncle Tom's Cabin was a liberty book that started the civil war according to a lot of folks but it's because of art art creates common sense and when they um did the minstrel shows the theater the tv at the time that was depicting they basically made it look like it was the great gatsby and they simultaneously made black people look stupid and lazy and also made it look like slavery wasn't all that bad oh there you go yep yep dirty little secrets the thing is it's not and it's barely a secret because they like they put it all over the media and it's been this through line i always say you know it's an unbroken line of oppression it's not that they just did us bad before for, or they're just doing us bad now. This has been a very successful strategy. And the thing about it is they've made so much art that they've created common sense that ain't sensical. You know, when we talk about defunding the police and all that, people are like, but wait, in their head, the police looks like John McClain. The police looks like reading the Miranda rights. The police looks like the interrogation room looking like it does on TV. That's what we actually believe because art has trained us to do that. And the same way that art has gotten us in this mess, we have the ability to create our own boxes and use art to get us out of the mess. It's so funny as you're talking about the way that you came up in yours, because mine is so similarly parallel. When you talk about Bumba, I started out rhyming way too fast because I was rhyming to Calypso. We had the Calypso band and they were so one political and about our community and two had freestyle they called it extempo when you would come extemporaneously off the head and these things were your energy sharing and all these things that we needed to build our community to build our self-efficacy to build all of these arms that create the entity known as our community and to discuss you know the, the racial disparities amongst our communities you mm-hmm. know actually in the Boricua, you know, we talk within Bomba and, and here where it's now, you know, after 25 years or now 30 years of the school, you know, being established, it's now the Borinquen Cultural Center um, as it's the next generation of Puerto Ricans have taken, you know, the leadership role of it. Um, there's 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 initiatives to say, hey, like I had to tell folks, you know, um, when we were you know drumming uh, at George Floyd Square, um, on 38th in Chicago, where me and my husband used to live right around the corner. I could say that it's a whole nother story, but it's, uh, I had to, you know, folks are there standing. I'm like, you know what? We're all here um, because Big big Floyd was killed. Um, but 
you know, what what are the conversations that you're having amongst your families, especially mm-hmm. when you're talking about, you know, Latinos and you're talking about people that are not black or that have a privilege in their family to be light skin or the light skin of racism. And like all of this is what our, our, our culture of music has formed in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, we can't sit here and and, and talk about what we want to see and what we got to change because the revolution starts at home. And so it's, 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 yeah. I mean, it's all intertwined. It's like, I spoke with uh, council member uh, Jeremiah Ellison to talk when he, I did a song when uh, formation, when Beyonce dropped formation, I did a remix and did the Boricua formation. And he had called me and said, you can't do that because this song for the, the, the Creole culture is very important. I took that. I looked at him. I said, Oh, you're trapped, man. You don't even know what you're talking to me about, but it's okay. Keep talking. Let's, I want to hear what you got to say. And I told him, um, those drums come from the same drums in Puerto Rico, whether you were enslaved in New Orleans or Haiti or Jamaica. So I'm like your own frame of the history book. It ain't to tell you don't know. It's just, you got to learn, man. That's what, that's our connection. I'm going to spit this. This is how you rise. This is the rainbow coalition, brother. You know, so, so don't go talking about what we should and what we can't do. No, we have to do these things. We have to unify our connections. And we also got to discuss, you know, um, the privileges and the disadvantages. So yeah, all about the Uncle Tom reading. I had to go pick up the book, Dirty Little Secrets, because uh, I'm like making my students read this now, you know, and 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 providing that. That's another part of 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 the tool we talk about financial literacy is providing actual literacy and connecting our, our ourselves and our kids to to wake stay woke you know it's it's way beyond we live when a culture of hip hop where it's our tools of survival but it also got capitalized in the 90s and the 2000s where we exactly. got the chain the cars and that's a big part of what we got to talk about. It's like, it's okay to have nice things. You know, ain't nobody saying keep living in the projects. Ain't nobody mm-hmm. saying, but how can we make the projects better and livable, right? How can we make our bodies uh, livable? How can we have uh, scholarships and, and, and books and, and, and opportunities for our kids to want to make it better and to, and to, to say, it, it's not for us to make better. Here we beat the system at the own game. We got all the degrees. We've got the platforms. We got the we got the folks in 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 law. We got the medical. We got the we even got the dang police that was our our people on there. And it's like, well, we got to defund y'all. We have to defund. And it's not to say hey, I'm against the black cop or I'm against the brown cop or no. I'm against all of that being funded of your training because you're not funding the books. You're not funding the ways that we communicate to advance. You're mm-hmm. funding the slave catcher. You know, so I'm all down and uh, I'm going to keep rambling on because this is just. No, no, no. You know, this, this is not a ramble. No, this you, is good. You in it. You this in is all it. relevant. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I give one more definition? That I think sums up the stuff that Maria is saying. And just like you just you went through on a whole lot of really good stuff. I wanted to tell you another etymology that um, I've been sitting with. that's just been blowing my mind for like the past couple of years that I've been there. You know where villain comes from? Where? So villain, yeah, villain, you know, the word for the bad guy, right? There's no better word for the mustache, twirling, vindictive, monstrous bad guy. It's a medieval English word, and it just means villa or villager, 
or farmhand. Oh, wow. It basically originally meant that it originally meant lazy and not uh, monstrous. And mm-hmm. it was supposed to be that a farmhand is lazy and that laziness was then as predictably done related to avarice, which then was mm-hmm. related to being a dangerous type of criminal who would rob and kill. And then it became mm-hmm. villain, just like lazy Susan is also the whole term for that thing for your that also has an etymology in workers being lazy and then workers being evil and devilish because of their lazy idle hands all of Mm. the language that we use the art that we have around us and the mores that exist they're the things that keep us trapped and you're not wrong you're not stupid and you're not alone for being caught up in these things the Mm -hmm. stuff that i do with pockets change and that i know maria is doing with all the immense amount of work that you're doing is reminding people of themselves that's Mm -hmm. the toughest thing as an educator you're rarely giving new stuff you may give new information but Mm -hmm. on the real you're mostly just giving that rhythm that allows people to know how they're in the pocket as a drummer, you know, in the pocket is such an important thing for feeling mm-hmm. right. You know, when you're dancing, if there, if the beat is off, there's like something mm-hmm. wrong in your body. If there's something wrong in your body, you can't learn, you can't express, you can't work together. So we use this rhythm. We use this hip hop, which connects all of these cultures. We use these facts and we use our community to make sure that we can find some common unity. Shout out to again, Martha Diaz with the hip hop community. Yeah. Shout out to Martha Diaz for connecting everyone and Hip Hop University. And shout out to both of you. Um, listen, I could create a whole, like, five more podcasts, one per day, and have you both on there, and we could do this, <laughs> like, every single day. But I want to get back just um, to the festival. But yeah. first, I just want to say thank you uh, for sharing all of this just fascinating and incredible work that both of you are doing. I just... You, you both are just so, you're like firecrackers mixed with dynamite, you know? Uh, it's like all these these little pops and then these big explosions, just wonderfulness. And dynamic. I mean, it's so dynamic and everything is just inside of me. Like my, my blood is just flowing now and I'm just so excited about everything that you're doing. And I just, I want to learn more and more and more and more. I could continue to have this conversation like it could i could just like never end this podcast but um but i do want to get to the festival just to um you know remind folks about you know what to look forward to Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. By the way, just to uh, quickly pitch, if you know you do want to bring us back, you should bring some other hip hop cats from Guam and American Samoa and just get all the territories and have a territory cipher. That might be fun. I'm just saying. I uh, love it. I love it. I love it. But about this hip hop fin fest. So it's going to be going down on Thursday, April 8th at 8 p.m. If you can't make it to the first one live, we will be eventually replaying it on Spondulix, but it would be great if you could make it there live. It's also a fundraiser for Spondulix, which is a brand new thing that launched I believe in January. So like, it's just a couple of months old and is trying to do what they can to provide a breadth of edutainment around personal finance and financial capability and financial resilience. So Hip Hop University has helped put together lessons. We have these amazing folks. Um, I don't think if I mentioned uh, Rich Nice from the A&R Room, um, Wake Up Show. He was like, you know, signed to Motown back in the day, has been a producer for an instrumentalist for so many more things that he would be his own entire show as well. Um, 
There are other cats like Chip Fu from the Fu Schnickens, who's dropped a little knowledge for the students as well. We've got all these amazing, fantastic people here for Good Texas, another education organization, the homie Sabine Blazin, who has her organization with her students who are coming and rocking. We have all these amazing, fantastic people who really... Uh, you know, Maria hit it on the head earlier about like what matters is making sure that we uplift our people. What matters is making sure that we get it done. The money is the consequence that comes from creating a solution to problems. We see a lot of problems out there that we've been dealing with on our own, but we can't solve them but together. So we have this cipher where students will be competing with their rap songs. The competition part is really a light thing, you know. In hip hop, I do love the competitive element because the competition with us is always collaborative. You see a B-boy battle, they're not actually tripping each other or punching each other. They're trying to outdo each other in a way that's healthy. So this competition is small, simple, and healthy. Everybody who ends up in the finals is going to be released on a record through Four Finger Distribution, who does a lot of indie niche brands and the whole thing of it is going to be a celebration of understanding where students are going to talk about the things that are important to them. The grown folks are going to talk about the stuff they wish they learned back in the day and the changes that they want to see going on. And we can create a cipher that is going to be ongoing. One other thing, if you want to get down and want to be involved and you're like, I can't make it on the day. I don't know how to support. I'm not ready to put in money. We are putting together a mentorship list for mentees to sign up for mentors who are professionals in every industry so they can commit some of their time and energy to holding down these young folks so that we can create a through line of creativity that breaks the bonds of the through lines of oppression that's held us down for a really long time. Wow. And do you have a... Now, this is for high school students. Yes. Uh, you know, so to be honest with you, I'll let you know about, you know, my initial idea was like all students, all ages, let's get the babies. Because like I said, I love our little six and seven-year-olds. Um, I, I do a lot of work with middle school, seventh, eighth grade. That's like my people's right there. But um, to make things easier for us, this is the first time we're doing this. It's a bit of an experiment. It's a lot easier for legalities for us to do the 14 through 18 age range and give them the opportunity. But the hope is that we'll be expanding. This will lead to some peer mentorship where the high school kids will be able to work with the middle school kids and that we do want to expand this to include all age groups. And that's why we have, I'm going to do a little sponsor shout out to our, our sponsors, Comerica Bank, uh, City National Bank, and California Jumpstart, who have connections with a lot of different schools and organizations and have been reaching out to them to make sure that not just these performers get to get down, but the entire community gets to have their back and be a part of the growth so we can all do these things together. And then how can people, because I did I hear you say that people could also support financially? Yes. Um, if you go to hiphopfinfest.com, there are a couple of, of links for how you can check out the lessons that we have. You can check out the beats that we've got and some of the things going on. But there's another link that has the sponsorship opportunities and the ways that you can get down. While we're having the festival, there will be one of those telethon type of vibes where we're showing the growth and the rate and you can donate directly. If you go to spondulix.org, they have a donation button as well. So you can go and do that at that time. You can 
sponsor the festival in some specific ways. There's like a PDF that has the breakdown of all of the ways that you can get down with it. And like I said, if you're not really sure what to do with that yet, you can get down on our mentor list and we can share you the other opportunities that are be going on. After this one festival, we're planning on going to a number of schools around the country and doing some more hands-on work with the groups there so they can create even more. Oh my God. So how can I, can I, I need a fake ID to be, <laughs> turn me from 49 to, I don't know, 16, so I can get in this program. <laughs> I mean, so a, um, this is a, a, a little sideways advertising again. Um, my wife and I's project, uh, Brunch and Budget, the podcast, is actually based on her personal finance program, which is called Brunch and Budget. It basically started because the artist community in our area was asking for help and she wanted a way to get people to feel more comfortable about finances. So we break bread and talk about your finances. And that's expanded to a new program that we have called Sea Change that we've running for about one or two years now. And it is group financial planning designed specifically for people of color. It's at like super low cost, affordable prices. And we're going to be opening up a new cohort in April for folks to get down. So if you want to check out brunchandbudget.com and look at the sea change link for the things that we're servicing. We also hold down adults. We do a wealth of free adult workshops with general assembly, with everyday people, with um, hire black and lots of really dope organizations. I think we did a few with the Bowery Poetry Club really great folks. So if you're looking for this adult education stuff, we have a lot of options too. One of the big things is this is for everybody. We can't just help the youth without helping ourselves as well. This is an intergenerational thing. When Pocket Exchange goes into neighborhoods, our best workshops are when we get to rock with the students, rock with the teachers, and bring in the whole family so everybody can get down together. You know, the thing that we do, I was saying this on um, another podcast I just kind of came to is that, you know, we do triage when it comes to capitalism and all of this stuff that's going on. We want to be able to break out of these bonds and to live freely the way we want to and live communally and have each other back, not have land and property and all that. But right now we're in the place that will penalize us for that. So what we're trying to do right now is to make sure that we have the triage, we have the emergency stuff so we can take care of ourselves so that we have the freedom and the breathing room to think about the stuff that we want to do. Um, my homegirl, Demostina, who's an amazing MC and artist, she was a part of the museum, the Museum of Dead Words. That's a project that I had that I was just talking about with the rapping Dead Words. And she interviewed a number of elders in her neighborhood about the idea of abstract truth and universal truth. And her mom, who was a brilliant woman, and she told me this on, on the interview that we did, said, we didn't have time to think about that growing up. And that's such a heavy weight because most of our parents didn't have time to think about those things growing up. They had to deal with the right now, what was in front of them. And that meant that we could never reach for the sky. That meant we could always do what was practical. It's why your parents aren't jerks for telling you to get a stable job because they understand how difficult things can be. And they know all of your creative, brilliant, wonderful dreams are something that matter and are special, but the system is there to stomp out that light. So we have to make sure that we got the kindling to get it going so that we can give people the option so they can get it roaring because we know that free speech is mad expensive. Now I'm rambling. <laughs> no, I mean, all of this is relevant. I mean, for me, I I, I like to hear, you know, you both speak. Um, everything is just super resonating. I, I do a lot of similar work. I'm going to connect with both of you um, yeah. off of this because I do a lot of similar work. But I just wanted to hear 
all of what you're doing. And I wanted people to hear from both of you. You know, it's a podcast, long form. I always say, you know, radio is where for me, you know, I get annoyed hearing the uh, the hosts like cut people off because they got to get to the commercial and they mm-hmm. only can hear. But for me, I like podcasts because we get to actually learn in a way where people, I, 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 you know, I'm Aquarius. I don't mind listening to people's streams of thought. Um, I find them fascinating. And the more and more that you both speak, I just feel uh, really fed. And I, this has been a really rich episode, um, not only for me, but for all the listeners. Um, I recently crossed over 25,000 listeners. And so, um, you know, uh, th- this is exciting. Like this is, you know, people that are going to be hearing about this great work, learning about how to plug in, hopefully, you know, supporting with their fiat, or maybe they'll become a mentor and maybe they'll support some of your personal projects that you're both working on and connect with you and help to elevate. So this is all, everything that you've put into the ethers right now is all food. So just much gratitude to both of you. But before we go, I definitely want to make sure um, that people can connect with you. So let's take care of that piece of business. Um, So let's start with you, Maria Issa. How do we follow up with you uh, personally and, and directly so that people can, can, can support the work that you're doing. Definitely. Um, you can connect with uh, me through my official website. I am mariaisa.com. You can find me on social media links, Instagram, Maria Isa Soto Rico, or on Twitter at Maria Isa. Um, my website though can take you to all of the spots that I'm at and you can learn more about the work that we're doing for Puerto Rico at elfondoboricua.org and follow the coffee cart project um, at Cayita's Coffee. Uh, Much love, much respect. I got some projects that are going to be dropping this summer, some new new music, but uh, go catch up on um, my work as a hip-hop artist for the last 15 years, and uh, you can find it all at iammariaisa.com. And then for you, um, so dialect, why don't you give us first all of your personal and artist links and then for the festival? Yeah, that sounds great. So for my personal stuff, uh, I'll send you to museumofdeadwords.com. That has the latest album project and the collaboration that I've done with a number of other artists. I actually am going to be putting out a remix album of that. Uh, I think it's starting the next, I think the first one drops in like a month or so. You know, uh, the dates are coming to me. Though You'll see them on Museum of Dead Words. You can find me on socials. Uh, dialect is spelled D-Y-A-L-E. E-K-T, because, you know, I'm a 90s kid. We can't be spelling nothing the way they tell us we're supposed to spell. It's okay, Googleability and all that good stuff. For the education work with the youth, you can see Pockets Change. That's Pockets, uh, plural, change.com. It's um, a Gertrude Stein quote. Feel free to check out the music that I've got. It's on all the places. It's in your band camps. It's in your Spotify's. Um, I one of my more prouder ones is I have a whole song that deals with the Thirteenth Amendment and the way that we actually financially, if you look at it, lost the Civil War. Um, so we don't need to make you know alternate universe versions of that. You can find. Uh, let's see, is there another place that you find? Oh yeah, for the brunch and budget stuff, go to brunch and 
budget.com where you can find information about the podcast that we do that's actually been building into a podcast network that has a number of other podcasts that talk about the intersections of race and wealth. So you can also go to raceandwealth.com for that. I've got a ton of links for your behind. If you want to go to the FinFest, it's hiphopfinfest.com to get more information, but the show will be on Spondulix. If you go to spondulix.org, that will be presented at 8 Eastern time on Thursday, April 8th, and it will be replayed, but you want to get it in there on the first time so that you can interact with the young folks who are doing their thing so that you can possibly donate a couple of bucks and get down with the movement because we got to keep it moving or else we're going to continue losing. Hey, and of course, just want to give both of you much, much gratitude again for all the work you're doing and for coming on the podcast to share about it and just uh, really looking forward to um, checking out this felt this fin fest i'm just like yeah this is exciting and seeing you know what uh what you have in store for young people and just connecting on all of the other aspects so we can uh so we can level up for our people and of course this has been piper carter podcast i'm piper carter your host and you can check us out on all streaming platforms or you could check us out on social media we're on instagram we are also on facebook we have a great facebook group where you can connect with other people to have these and other great conversations and you can go to our podcast network website which is detroitisdifferent.net and you can check out all of the other podcasts that are on there so once again thank you to our very wonderful guests marie Isa and dialect and looking forward to this fin fest on april the 8th and yeah keep listening and have a great week peace tune in weekly to the piper carter podcast with piper carter for a conscious take on music arts politics and fashion the founder of we found hip-hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience subscribe like and share on apple itunes google play or stitcher to the piper carter podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of piper carter follow piper carter on instagram at piper carter